Aloha, everyone. Ronnie Landis here, and welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. And I am also the founder of founder of the founder of the of the holistic. This is a holistic nutrition certification program that I had created with a few partners, you know, a little over a year ago, and it's turned into just a magnificent educational platform that. I like to think of as an intuitively directed educational platform. It's something that you can hop around for from and, and really go into the fringes of whatever catches your attention upon entry, upon enrollment. It's a 125 video series course at this point with a 70 video certification course and then 55 bonus videos that go into all kinds of directions like coaching mastery, how to become a master health coach or any kind of coach for that matter, dealing with relations and communication dynamics, um, herbalism, specific Chinese herbalism and really understanding the Taoist principles in contrast to traditional Chinese medical principles and the unifying factor, all the top Chinese tonic herbs. Um, We also go into hormone mastery, really laying out what the hormonal situation in our world is right now and how to counterbalance toxic or obstructive estrogen metabolites that accumulate in the body over time and so many other things beyond that. So you can find more information on that at holistichealthmastery.com. Let's get into today's episode. This is one for the ages. This is one for the history books. This was an archived interview that I had done with a good friend of mine who is now a colleague and someone that I consider to still be a mentor in the field of nutrition, David Avocado Wolf. And this is just really an epic conversation between us in directions that I had never heard him go into on previous podcasts or interviews, and I knew that I could take him in those directions and really just push the button down on certain perspectives that I wanted to get but could not get previously from other other shows for whatever reason. Um, so that's what we did. Now, I want to apologize in advance because the last about 10 minutes of this interview got cut out because of just editing errors. Um, remember, this is about, you know, almost a three-year-old interview, but it's still juicy. It's still super relevant to the times, uh, maybe more relevant than most interviews I hear with this individual. So strap on your seatbelts, get ready for a wild ride into just the exploration of consciousness, of food, of spring water. We also go deep into the estrogen imbalance or estrogen dominant situation. Um, We go into all kinds of different areas. So without further ado, I want to introduce David Avocado. I just want to say for the record and for many of the new listeners out there that you're you're like the primary catalyst for the modern day raw food movement. You know, many people see you as a dynamic speaker, an entertainer, a renowned nutritionist, as well as a prolific writer. But 
I want to know what was really the inspiration from your very beginnings of your journey and how has that affected you uh, right now? Wow. Okay. Well, I, I think originally the original vision way back when, actually back in August of 1994, was to really go out there and become a voice for raw foods and become the voice for it and, and take it from something that was like this bizarre, you know, sprout juice thing that you did in, you know, in some healing clinic in Boston and, and, and actually make it a mainstream concept where, you know, wheatgrass enemas would be considered like normal. And uh, that was the original <laughs> original idea way back when. And uh, now it's we're there now. Twenty years later, where we are there, we're at the point now where it is a mainstream concept. I was on the Carol Alt show the other day, and uh, we did two episodes. The episode that aired was about heart disease and that kind of a thing. The second episode, she did this whole piece, and it hasn't aired yet. On you know, I'm a raw foodist. I don't eat that kind of stuff. And she's just like like she's in that mode right there amongst millions of viewers all across the world of saying like, I don't eat that garbage. I'm a raw foodist. And like, it's, it's, it's cool. It's trendy. She's a supermodel. She's the best looking 53 year old in the world. You know, she's got all that going for her. And then for her to come out with this whole raw food spiel on top of all that is totally like a dream come true for me. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, it happened. We got raw food from this little like sidebar thing that's, you know, what happens when you're dying, you know, and you just to save your life on wheatgrass enema. <laughs> all the way to the like best thing ever that that is really it really is extraordinary and i'm just kind of um putting myself in your shoes kind of metaphorically because i'm i'm thinking back like really when i started this i was about like 24 or 23 i'm 28 now so i'm kind of like you you were around the same age when you first got this vision right yeah i was i was basically 23 24 years old right in that that period right in August of 1994. Yeah. And so, um, it must be really amazing for you to, to go from where it was just kind of like a little niche. It wasn't, it wasn't popular by any means. And like you, you alluded to, it was just kind of something that people did when they were in like a dire circumstance to now, you know, I'm in Los Angeles, I'm in the heart of this whole movement out here in LA. And it's like, it's a normal thing. It's, it's, it's actually like it, people out here are like if you're not into raw food there's it's there's something wrong you know it's like it's become a a real trend and it's not even just a trend it's it's really become a real accepted lifestyle out here yeah it's it's not just here it's it's everywhere i mean just like that people like i'll say this but yeah i'm a raw foodist and they, they actually know what that is is to me totally bizarre compared to where we were 20 years ago that it's even mentioned on TV, it's even mentioned in television shows, it's worked its way into even films. That is incredible. Like what a what an amazing transformation in in knowledge that that is even an option for people and that people know that exists. That, that to me blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, it definitely gives me a lot of inspiration for the future and what I want to do in my life. So thank you for that. Um, so, okay, so we have a, a set of uh, questions here that I really want to get into with you. So um, on the flip side of that, that you and me over the years, whenever we, we talk or get together at a conference or something, there's a, there's a consistent theme that pops up. One of the things on my journey that I had to contend with um, kind of psychologically was this whole concept of dietary extremism. Because when I first got into raw foods, I didn't really understand... 
um, kind of the negative side of it, which is um, really the extremism that a lot of people get into, and they, they almost like polarize it to where it becomes very unattractive. So for a lot of the people listening, I just want to touch on that with you. What, what in your opinion, actually causes dietary extremes or just extremism in general that we see in these nutrition circles? Well, to bluntly answer the question, the, the answer is people. Mm. People cause it. Right. It, it's, it's, you see it in every area. You see it in religion. You see it in politics. You see it in diet. There's going to be extremes because people are different. Not everybody has the same moral character or temperance as you or I. And, and so they will use whatever it is, whether it's the political position, the religious position, the dietary position, as a platform to launch their, their particular form of vitriol you know, their particular form of hate. So what really people are, are really doing is they're taking on a mask to disguise their hate. I can hate you because I'm a vegan and you're eating animals. I can hate you because I'm a raw foodist and you, you eat cooked food. I can hate you because you're destroying the planet with your diet and I'm not. You know, whatever it looks like. And it's exactly the same thing you'll see in politics and exactly the same thing in religion. And, and to me, it's, it's like it's not mental illness. It's a soul incarnation problem. It's a, it's a it's beings who are working at the soul level in their incarnation to and they're discovering lessons of hate and also the lessons of extremism, which you know in a lot of cases it's I think it's an advancement probably from a reincarnation perspective in that they didn't reincarnate as a religious zealot who blows himself up in a you know a dynamite jumpsuit. Instead of that, they're reincarnating as a, as a, a dietary fanatic, in which they can actually learn the lesson before blowing themselves up and make a soul correction if they pay attention to what the results of that behavior are over a long period of time. Because it's easy to be a dietary extremist for a year or two, but w- when it goes on for 10 years or 20 years, what's that really saying about mm-hmm. somebody's soul journey and their character? So people ask me, they're like, is it caused by food? You know, is it a dietary thing? It's like, no, actually, no. Um, no. Extremists are a part of the human condition, and it's something you have to contend with. <laughs> And we're so innocent sometimes we get involved in like peaceful diets and vegan diets and vegetarian diets and raw food diets that we, we our guard is down. We don't realize that the same beings who are religious fanatics or political fanatics also lurk within these realms as well. Yeah, that, that was beautifully stated. And that's been my feeling, too, is that it, it, it really is a it's a disharmony, a disharmony at this the soul level. Um, and it plays itself out into every fringe of society. And I I just wanted to put that out there because I think it's really important for people to understand that if you eat raw food, it's not going to turn you into a fanatic or a zealot. It's just going to, I think it's kind of like money. You know, there's an old saying that money is neutral. Money will make you who of you, who it'll make you more of who you already are. So if you're a good person, it'll make you better. If you're naturally on the negative side, it'll make you more of that. Right, exactly. It just kind of reveals it's, it, it's you. going to it's going to amplify things, and this is one of the things that's said about a lot of alchemical substances, including raw food and warmest mm-hmm. products as well, is that it's going to amplify. When you fast, it speeds things up and amplifies things. When you um, do a cleanse, it, it amplifies things, and so we have to be able to to deal with the amplification of our personality when we deal with these ty- types of transformational technologies which is you know, how I consider all of that stuff. Fasting is a transformational technology, so is raw food, and, and so, so is cleansing. And, and you've got to just deal with your shadow. 
Yeah, beautifully put. This this just brought up something that I wanted to get your take on. Um, something interesting about both you and me is actually before I ever knew who you were, um, as a child, I was I was exposed to um, as you like to say, success technology like Jim Rohn and Anthony Robbins and Les Brown and. Napoleon Hill and so on and so forth, Wallace Waddles. Those were some of my scholars and, and um, heroes growing up, Bruce Lee. And I, when I found out about you, one of the things that drew me into your work was actually the fact that you grew up with this material as well. So um, for people that are on the health path, how important do you feel it is that they do, they dig into some of that information to really work with their, their um mental faculties. Yeah, I think it's very important. I think that kind of material can have an effect on your karma Mm -hmm. and what you attract into your life. And it's easier for some than others to assume an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of success, an attitude of prosperity. It's harder for others. It has to do with their karma and what they have to work through in their lifetime. So, you know, for me, fortunately, it spoke to me at a young age um, I, I was able to take those teachings on as part of my life path. It's helped me tremendously in my career, my life, and just dealing with every aspect of relationships, everything. It's been an incredible thing for me. I, more today, I still like that stuff. I still tune into the Jim Rohn quotes, the teachings of John D. Martini. Mm. But I, I'm actually more focused on more stuff that's kind of overtly spiritual more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seems to be more to the core. I, I think you're probably in the same boat. Yeah. And and really working there. So, for example, you know, I, I get I get the power of positive thinking. I also understand that it, depending on somebody's soul path and their karma, it might be a tougher road. So they're going to need more assistance, more aid, more tools. And it's not just the same template for everybody. Um, some for some people, it's going to be harder to to get into that prosperity based on their life path and their karma. And, and you know, we got to be able to assist and go deeper. And those spiritual books do that. They help you to get a little deeper into, you know, the soul journey and, and spiritual um, interpretations of reality. Mm, yeah, I, that's beautifully put. I definitely feel, I feel the same way. Um, okay, great. Well, let's, let's uh, jump into some, some new area here. This, okay, this is a great one. Um, so my feeling on this is when we talk about longevity, I've kind of come to the conclusion that the people who want to be here the most generally get to stick around longer. Uh, how does how much does living your passion and your purpose in life play into um, just outstanding health and longevity? Well, Ronnie, I want to announce something really cool. You know, my new book is out. Yes, the Longevity Now book. It's basically a 400-page hardcover and revise of the old Longevity Now program, plus all the hormone stuff, and and a new end section. You know, I put in a new afterward. A conclusion to the book, and in the conclusion, I get into this whole thing about the number one longevity tool is to actually be enjoying what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I'm a fan, like Steve Adler, of the of the great book by Glenda Green. Yes, um, Love Without End, and in that book it, it talks about that death is a clearinghouse for false identities. Mm. And, and so if you're doing something you don't like to do, which causes you to be a person that you don't want to be, it, it, that, that can have a very detrimental effect on your longevity and on your health. It's probably the most detrimental thing. That, that's what I say in my book. It's probably the most important thing to sort out is to get on to what, what you love. 
and find out where your passion is and get totally involved in that as your career. And then you're likely to stay here longer because you're more of your real identity. You're actually happier. Mm, mm, yeah, it kind of um, – I feel like in, just from my own experience, it, it actually opens up new avenues or new floodgates to, to new insights to kind of guide you along the way. So all the stuff that we're into, like all the food and, and healing technology – um, I feel like for me, it only, the only reason it showed up is because I was consistently in my life moving forward on my passion and it just kind of led me down the path that I needed to go. And now I'm kind of in a state of just grace and acceptance instead of trying to force my will onto whatever that is or what it has to be. I'm kind of just like, you know what? guide me at this point let show me where i need to go and um it's you know it's just led me to to right here this interview yeah that's that's more that's more getting in tune with the flow i i think a lot of the success information where it goes away from the spiritual information is it starts pushing mm. there starts to be a proselytization or pushing into the world of somebody's will which you know may be totally rude or inappropriate or you're not going with the flow, not listening to the signs. So you keep trying the same old thing when you know you, you should just switch your approach around and try something new. Um, you know, But no, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make this. I'm going to make it occur through will alone. All of that kind of stuff is when it gets out of whack. And, and obviously this is also alluding to this whole thing about goals and also about being in the present. Yeah. It's, a, it's a paradox. If you if you're in the present, you don't need goals. If you're into goals, you don't. You're never in the present. Uh, it's actually a dynamic balance of both of those, right? And that's kind of like be in the flow, have the goal. You never know how it's going to show up for you. You got to be in the flow to be able to see it. Yeah, um, my one of my my um, one of my heroes, KRS One, Knowledge Reign Supreme. Um, he actually, I've been getting into his stuff lately, and I've been blown away actually because he combines what you're talking about and. One of his quotes that hit me today was, without a, a vision for the future, there is no peaceful present. It, yeah, that's, that's part of that paradox. It, mm. it's, it, there has to be some – so the whole thing of like the power of now, 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 this moment, this is moments all right. is, is is really – it's irrational actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's, it's gotten people confused. It's like, no, actually, you need to know where we're going. We need to write the story of our lives. The right. universe is constructed like a story. Yeah. That's why we have such a tremendous affinity for storytelling because it's intrinsic to the structure of the universe. And you need to write the story of your life, and that's called goal setting. And it works with in, in alignment with the laws of the universe. And, and yeah, it's good to be in the moment and flowing with what's happening, but not – perpetually not in a chaos not in a storm mm, yeah thank you for that um okay so moving forward here um one of the areas that you've been super into the last number of years and because i heard you talking about it um a few years back or probably like really like the last year and a half it's got me obsessed about it and this is the field of hormones and i i've really latched onto this as well because I find it's one of the missing um, ideas in, you know, let's just say the raw food literature, but just really in the overall health field. Um, what are some of the, the research, and, research and insights that you could briefly just put out there, maybe um, relating to your new book on the hormone field? 
Okay, well, I, I, I think you've got to start out with a little bit of understanding about what's happened to us in, in the present age, where we have saturated the environment with all different kinds of toxic chemicals, toxic minerals, all different kinds of volatile organic compounds, and and petroleum byproducts, and xenoestrogens, and fake estrogens, and this has had an enormous impact on the health of hundreds of millions of people all around the world, and these xenoestrogens have have basically furthered a a natural age-related problem, which is called estrogen dominance, and that that term was coined by Dr. John Lee many years ago, over 15 years ago, maybe even 20 at this point, and Dr. John Lee wrote about that in his books, and he, he really pioneered this idea of dealing with estrogen dominance, which is a pollution-related phenomenon, but also an age-related phenomenon. So with age, we accumulate these types of estrogen metabolites as breakdown products of metabolism. And when our anabolic hormones, like in a woman progesterone or in a man testosterone, are counterweighted or overweighted by the presence of these estrogen metabolites, especially when we go through menopause or andropause, then that that basically accelerates our demise. It it, it uh, uncouples and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Paralyzes our immune system, mm. and it begins to set us up for age-related decay. It's like what Suzanne Summers says, and I love the way she says it. it when you're no longer reproductively fit, nature's going to find a way to check you out. To, to move you out of, off the planet, and and that's actually that's not a soul thing. It's more of, a, of an animal body yeah. meta- metabolic thing that we need to figure out. You know, on this planet, is like how do we overcome that particular piece of the of the puzzle? So I'm going to just summarize it for you, and this is all in my longevity now book in detail. It's never been like this in any book, and and let me tell you what I found out over the years, and a lot of this through the longevity conferences, is that. The, the real future is going to look like this. Uh, this is something we're not there yet, but it's going to look like this. You have your, uh, you have your um, juvenile hormones, which actually are the most health-giving hormones of all. They're, they're the hormones you have when you're, from the time you're born all the way until you, just before you go through puberty. Then when you go through puberty, you have your sex hormones that take over. And when we go through puberty in the right way without too much xenoestrogen exposure, then we can go through it without the acne, without the extreme mood swings, without the um, chaos and confusion of, of those teenage years. So this is why it's important younger and younger to cleanse those xenoestrogens out and start thinking about it even you know, in prepubescent kids at this point so that they can go through puberty in a natural way and not be counterbalanced or outweighed by these um, unnatural, harmful, or even a metabolic breakdown products of estrogens. Anyway, once this is what the future is going to be, Ron, is that once we go through our, our sexually re- reproductive years, if we want to, um, then after that, we will get on a course of getting back to the juvenile hormones, which very likely will keep us in a juvenile state and, a, and a, a, almost an immortality state for hundreds or even thousands of years. I think that's where the human race is going, and I, and I just want to kind of overtly say it. Um, right now where we are is that we're, we've, got, we've got to deal with the sex hormones, which are volatile. And that, the reason why we would eventually go back to juvenile hormones is because sex hormones are volatile. They can, they can break down. For example, testosterone can break down and become very toxic estrogens that can trigger off the reproduction of many reproductive cancers, mm-hmm. the development and reproduction of many re- reproductive cancers. So – you know, playing the sex game with the sex hormones, which is kind of where we are now on the fringe of our science, it isn't 
the, the future future. It's just what we have to deal with right now as we learn that next step. And in order to do that, you need all the tools. And, and that's what I'm attempting to provide with the Longevity Now book is, is just detailing it out. Like the first step, methylation. You've got to methylate properly and detoxify your liver so your body can get a handle on the estrogen toxicity, which to me is the most toxic substances that exist in our environment and most dangerous, um, which is a you know, real surprise. Like, what do you mean? Is, aren't heavy metals more toxic and dangerous? Mm-hmm. Not in my opinion. I'd love somebody to prove that to me. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that heavy metals are not as toxic as some of these estrogen metabolites, nor are they as percentogenic as well. Really? And, and so, yeah. And so that's methylation. And then the next step would be, you know, the bad estrogen dissolvers, which, you know, in the in in lump shell here would be berries and cruciferous vegetables and their derivative products, mm. berries and cruciferous vegetables and their derivative products. And then the next phase would be uh, natural aromatase inhibitors, which is such an amazing area that I love to research so much. It's brought to light some pretty amazing things. Quercetin, resveratrol, xanthohumol, the hops X factor, is one of the most powerful natural aromatase inhibitors. And then oleorupine, which is what's in olive oil. You know, right there, you've got two of the top four longevity substances, mm-hmm. red and, and dark wines. And on top of that, you've got the olive oil. And, and it goes on like this, Ronnie, I and mean, we could just go on for hours, but yeah. that's, that's why I wrote a book on it. It just needs to actually be summarized somewhere as a reference so we can start getting a handle on natural strategies to deal with estrogen toxicity. Yeah, th- this just popped up something in my head. I, um, I spoke at Lisa Wilson's Raw Food uh, Institute a little while back, and I was going on some rant about Jean-Claude Mall. And, um, <laughs> and I was mentioning her top three favorite foods for longevity. And it was interesting what came out of, I didn't think about it, but it just kind of came out of my mouth as I was streaming the, this thought process was that it's interesting that she's the oldest recorded woman in Western civilization. Her three foods were a olive oil and, uh, in massive dosages. Like you said, the oleo rupine, now that we, we understand kind of the compound behind aromatization and then there was um, port wine, right, the resveratrol. And that obviously wasn't, just for clarification, that wasn't like boxed $4.99 wine, right? That was like high-quality high polyphenolic wine. And then I also thought this other thing about cacao, right, because zinc is, is being stated as an aromatase inhibitor, testosterone enhancer. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think we're going to find – this is what I've been saying kind of in interviews. I don't have a – I mean there's some theoretical pathways that would indicate that chocolate is an aromatase inhibitor of some sort or shape or form. Um, I think we're going to find that out as time goes on and we'll we'll get the real truth about it. Just kind of like what happened with naked chocolate. When I wrote naked chocolate, I said – um, it's very likely we're going to discover that chocolate contains some kind of uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, mm-hmm. which have anti-aging qualities and, and also can potentiate certain other substances. And it turns out that that, in fact, happened. Um, cacao contains tetrahydrobetacarbolines, which are actually natural aromatase inhibitors. I'm sorry, natural monoamine oxidase inhibitors. And I think we're going to find the same is going to happen with these natural aromatase inhibitors, that because cacao is so highly regarded in, in longevity research, it's got to have something that works that principle. And just to clarify what that principle is, a natural aromatase inhibitor is a substance that blocks a good hormone from becoming a bad hormone. 
to, just for clarity as to why that's so impossible. As I realized after a while from the research is that this must be a very powerful property for a substance to have. And in fact, that's why pharmaceuticals have been created as knockoffs of natural products like a Rimidex to block metastasization of breast cancer using an unnatural aromatase inhibitor. Because that's what happens when these when these cancers get um, metastasized and they start really running, you know, away. Is that there's the hormones are flipping over very rapidly. So a good hormone becomes a bad hormone and inflames the whole situation, making it worse. This is again related to prostate cancer when it gets into the bone or export, you know, gets deeper into the tissue or in the lungs. Same with breast cancer. Interesting. Um, what I just thought about was, you know, for example, uh, you see a lot of bodybuilders um, from the 70s, 80s, and even 90s that obviously were taking um, steroid enhancements. And then you look at them progressively when they're like 50 or 60, and you see the flabbiness. You see the they become very overweight. Metabolically, they just become a disaster. Do you do you attribute that to to aromatization? Well, yeah, that's part of it. I see every bodybuilder who, who's you know really figured this out realizes you got to do a dance. Yeah, you know, and I, when I think about this, I think of Sylvester Stallone because you know he's obviously been using all different kinds of steroids. <laughs> I think he's probably been doing them very cleverly. I'd really like to talk to him and find out really what his protocols are and what he's been what's been figured out. Because I, I do want to say this about steroids. They're very powerful anabolic substances, immune-enhancing substances that do make you younger. Mm. There's no question about it. Um, it's the, the problem is, is that they're volatile and that you've got to hold them in, in position so they don't flip over on you or you don't run the risk of, of you know, lay, developing you know, such over-enlarged muscles that you, know, you tear your joints apart or you tear your ligaments apart or you cause damage that way. In fact, joint problems is a, is a very big side effect of all these steroids. So, you know, we are going to figure the whole thing out. And, and uh, you know, when people say, are you against steroids? I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, geez, first thing I'm against is pharmaceutical drugs. Right. Steroids do work and do make people younger. What we need to have is a lot more research on them and figure out exactly what to do to heal people and repair people, especially athletes, when they're used in the right way for short periods of time. Because I believe that's the future of steroids because they do work. But when, when, you know, it becomes this, like, macho business or whatever, then obviously that's just an ego thing. Right. It's kind of like you say You say sometimes about pharmaceutical industry is just really poor herbalist. So it's the appropriate, the appropriate dosage and the, the quality of the substances they're using, right? Exactly, right. And, and so, you know, when, when we, you know, when people are like, you know, we, we have to stop steroid use, I really like the mixed martial arts world opinion on steroid use. If you have a really good fighter and, you know, and that, that guy's like now 44, but wants to compete, they don't have, you don't have the testosterone levels when you're 44 is when you're 24. Mm -hmm. So they're okay with some testosterone supplementation. Personally, I'm not okay with it because it's too volatile. It's dangerous, especially without aromatase inhibitors being involved. Right, because the aromatase inhibitors can help to hold that volatile testosterone, so it's not flipping over and becoming something extremely dangerous, like a runaway estrogen or estradiol or something. Yeah, it's very interesting, and I also find it interesting since we're on this topic. Um, I come from the sports world uh, my whole life, and so I've I've definitely identified like athletes, and now that I understand kind of the health piece on the side of it. 
Um, you know, I, I think of like Lance Armstrong, for example, who I, I don't really buy into the, the, the media bashing and just kind of the way it went down. Um, I, I have a little more compassion for the guy, um, not to get into that whole thing, but it's interesting because when you are accelerating in age and you are constantly breaking, you're catabolizing your body at such an I mean, to be able to do that kind of activity or perform at that level under that kind of pressure, I don't believe you're going to be able to do it just on, you know, diet alone, right? You're going to need some assistance. Sure. It, it, it's, it's interesting what's happening, you know, across all sports because w with the internet now and the cross-referencing of information, everything becomes available and new rules apply. It's kind of like, you know, what Hollywood's doing to Kim.com and like trying to block people from downloading movies mm -hmm. for free. And, and it, you know, what Hollywood doesn't realize about that is like, hey, you got to get with the times. It's like all that information is going to become free. Like, yeah. it, you know, it, but what's, what's interesting about those trends is that if, if, you know, the U.S. government actually paid attention and Hollywood paid attention, those people who are downloading the most free content are also buying the most content. Exactly. Like if you're a fan of something, you're going to go the extra mile to get it. And the people yeah, that, so you might you might want to just see if it's worth it, and you're like, oh, you know that movie was great. I want to actually buy that on DVD now. That's what the that's what the trends show. Yeah. And so we've got to just get with the times when it comes, you know, to what's happening with sports, training, um, steroid use, um, healing our body quickly. What's been learned about side effects? I mean, there's just a whole thing here available now that wasn't available before. So again, you know this in terms of like. Can a doctor really give you the advice you can get, you know, from your immediate circle of friends and, and supporters and advisors on the internet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great point. You've been a great champion of this this concept of we live in the age of information. Everything's available now. It just depends on your willingness to go seek the information now. And a lot of times, all that takes is just a. a uh, search on the internet, you know, you can find, for example, when I was doing a lot of hair and I'm still doing a lot of hormone uh, research as well. I look and I look at, you know, the sports, the sports field are like talking about passion flower and the Christine and passion flower. And they're talking about the Narogen and, and um, uh, citrus fruit, like lemon and stuff. And those being prime compounds for all the stuff we've talked about for inhibiting estrogen uh, growth. And it's just interesting to me um, how all this information is so widely available and um, people are literally still going to the doctor for their, their quote-unquote doomsday report. And, um, but, but the times are changing. And the point I just wanted to make was that all the information is widely available and it just takes you know, a simple curiosity in the right direction. Yeah, it, it's becoming easier and easier. And, and, of course, all the books are now being scanned into Google, so you can actually search into books that are in that tremendous library that's, that's growing day by day. Yeah, right on. Um, okay, so uh, moving on here, uh, the next question I have for you is kind of a personal question. Um, I think people dig it. You you've basically spent your your career. What is it? Almost like twenty years now, traveling around the world, right? Yes. Yeah. You, okay. So you've been basically traveling around the world, reaching audiences both in the mainstream and the outliers of the world as well. So my question is, 
moving forward for you, who do you feel like you want to reach out to the most? Are you really trying to reach out to more mainstream audiences? Are you trying to reach out to more like the 1% who are like more the innovators of the future? Where's that sit for you? Well, I, I, what's happening for me is, is going to completely new people. That's a real strong area for me. I really like speaking to people who've never even heard of organic food before. Mm. Uh, so a big part of my future is going to be that. And I'm doing that a lot on television and we'll continue to do that on television. And I absolutely love that part of it too. And, and that's been a big passion of mine because for a lot of events over my career, the people in the audience were people who were on hot dogs. I mean, most of my events, people are like, you've just been speaking to the choir all these years. No, I haven't actually. I almost never speak to the choir. It's always people who are completely brand new, never been to a seminar before, never even been to any kind of healthy thing ever. Um, so that's, that is a real strong area, and I'm going to keep focusing on that. And then the other area will be the continuing research that I like to do into the new, subtle nuances of nutrition and longevity. And that will be everything from stem cell research to what's happening with the latest on TA65 to, you know, Hopsex factors, anthohumol to um, chrysin and what's going on with, with Herb Farms Passion Flower Extract and why it has more alcohol in it than their normal product yeah. because that's what drives the chrysin in, uh, et cetera. Wow, interesting. Um, okay, um, let's see here. I had, a, I had a thought on my mind. Just slip me for a second here. Um, oh, here, this is what it was. This, this is funny. So my grandmother calls me a couple weeks ago and she's like, okay, which juicer should I get? Now, keep in mind, this is like, she's never even attempted to ask me such a question, right? I, I kind of slipped chocolate into her reality a couple years ago. And from there, it started a whole, a whole new, you know, train of things for her. She loves it. But she calls me and she's like, hey, that guy with the hair, he's on the TV and he's talking about this, this Nutribullet thing. Should I get it? I was like, what? Yeah, you should get it. And now she knows. About, I haven't even talked to her about you. She knows who you are. She knows he's really well-spoken and he's really good. And I think I'm going to get it. <laughs> and, awesome. That's the best news ever. Yeah, that is incredible. So it's, it really is. Um, it's really amazing, especially for me, because it, it is. It definitely touches home just from for you for that to that message to get across to my grandmother, who's basically 85 years old, comes from Armenia. And now she her whole her whole thinking is just tweaked just from that one commercial. I mean, it's really amazing what what that can do. I didn't know you're part Armenian. Yeah. How far? You're half Armenian? Uh, I'm quarter. My mom's half. So my grandmother's from the country. And then. um my my grandfather's just all mixed up in European descent. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't talk about it that much, but it's a fact. Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um the next the next thing I want to get into, actually this is something I've been wanting to get into you for a while and it's just never come up over the years, especially lately. I've been very focused on neuroscience and um, neurological health, I realized that one of the biggest epidemics, if not, in my opinion, the biggest epidemic is really neurological, the way and how and how the health of our brain is really affecting all the decisions being made in the world. So um, 
you know, we talk about activating genius. I like to talk about it from a nutritional perspective. And so I'm going to say these three terms, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. These three things, I've kind of um, come to my own realization that these are the crux of increasing uh, quote-unquote genius, um, which is vasodilation, neurotransmission, neurotransmitters, and myelination. I'm curious what your thoughts on that is. Okay, well, let's start with vasodilation. The great vasodilator that we're familiar with, of course, is theobromine. And that, to me, means it's a delivery system. It, it dilates everything, so it kind of relaxes your cardiovascular system. And that's going to drive more nutrients um, that are carried into your blood and your capillaries and beyond. So that, that, to me, is like you know really a strong statement as to how good of a delivery system chocolate is because it's a vasodilator. Vasodilators are also very important for stopping a heart attack or preventing a heart attack. This is one of the reasons why cayenne peppers recommended, why garlic's recommended, and definitely chocolate's recommended in particular for it when somebody is having a heart attack. Because they're extraordinary vasodilators. Yeah. So that's that. Um, what was the other one? Neurotransmitters? Yeah, neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are, are like chemical messengers, mostly associated with the nervous system and digestive tract. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, they, they are you know, like similar to hormones. And they, they're basically conglomerates of protein and oil. And the major ones that we think about are serotonin, um, dopamine, and then um, phenethylamines. That major group right there has, has a lot to do with, with neurological health. And, it, you know, we've heard, all heard about serotonin, but serotonin is present in all life forms. It's present in amoebas. Mm. And, and that's kind of interesting. It's the dominant feel-good neurotransmitter amongst all life forms. I didn't, I didn't even realize that. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of a spin on that one. Okay. Um, and and a balance, by the way, a balance of these things is needed, as we found right. out. And chemical depression is related to an imbalance of these forces, yep. which are neurotransmitter forces. And then, um, you know, we could also say the same on, on the dopamine side is if somebody's usually people have low serotonin, you know, they're depressed. But if somebody has too low a dopamine, then we start getting uh, neurological conditions like Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And, and dopamine is what's is what our body has to utilize in order to neutralize. It's basically an anti-stimulant. That's what dopamine is. It, 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 it helps the body to adapt to stimulants. And so if we don't herbally use stimulants correctly with anti-stimulant herbs or dopamine-building herbs like macuna, then we get out of balance that way. Right, and um, that you brought up before we move on to this last this last term. I, you brought up an interesting point that I have to touch on. You know, I I get hit up a lot um, from kind of the the I'll just say like kind of the natural hygiene community. They've kind of gotten wor- they kind of gotten wind of me, and <laughs> they, I think <laughs> they've gotten worse and gotten wind of you. I, I kind of heard both of those there. <laughs> Wait, was that again? So like, <laughs> you, you, you said you said they've kind of gotten wind of you, but you started saying they've kind of gotten worse. I think it's actually both. I mean, it's oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> because again, this is like it's like the new religion. It's like the next thing to get fanatical about, and yeah. everything is toxic except for these things. It's and, you know, stimulants. It's gonna stimulate you. You're gonna. It's stimulants <laughs> are terrible for your health. And it's, just, it's that business all over again. Right. I, I was kind of like, wait, isn't food stimulating our blood sugar? What's up with that? 
Actually, chocolate stimulates blood sugar about 10%. Most foods about 20 to 30%. Yeah. So actually, most foods are more stimulating on your blood sugar than chocolate is. What's more stimulating, a banana or chocolate? Banana, for sure. On your blood sugar, absolutely a banana. Okay, so the verdict is out on that one. All right, cool. <laughs> um, so the next thing is this this right here, this one term is probably my favorite word in the dictionary at this point, and that's myelination. And um, I, I think I like years ago, I, I the actual the technical term was was shown to me um, when I started researching like the myelin sheath, the, the fatty insulator that protects our nervous system. Um, but the more I got into it recently, um, it just blew my mind, all the research and what it's actually doing um, to really just like allow the electrical conductivity of our nervous system of these electrical packets to really get sent through our whole body to allow us to move and think and feel. And when that, that sheath gets broken down or oxidized, then we start to run into all the neurodegenerative issues of modern day civilization. So I'm just curious, what, what, uh, what do you have to say about that? Well, I saw that you've been writing about myelin in your new book. So that, that was cool. Yeah. And I read that little part and, um, right. it's definitely, it's a very important part about, nervous system protection mm -hmm. and my feeling about some nervous system diseases like multiple sclerosis is it has something to do with improperly formed island sheathing mm -hmm. you know when i think about that i think about toxic oil ingestion like yes. rancid partially hydrogenated cottonseed oil and soybean oil and all this stuff that's just literally worked its way into the diets of billions of people around the planet and and that's going to lead to nerve degeneration as a result of the damage to the myelin sheathing because it, it appears to me that the myelin sheathing is is a very delicate juicy fatty material that's got that's sensitive to environmental toxins and pollutants mm -hmm. and, and if we're only taking those in you know through our life through a period of our lifetime then then our myelin sheathing could break down or if we have the presence of very toxic chemicals like DDT or um, mercury, that could break down the myelin sheathing and, and lead to these nervous system disorders that have a directly um, a direct mechanical component. Yeah, that, well, you just brought up a really interesting point too. And when I was doing more research on this, one thing that did come up is that um, the glial cells or the myelin uh, more specifically will actually construct itself out of the materials that are present. So let's say, for example... You, you don't have the right ratio of your omega-3s, omega-6s, or like you just said, you have a saturation of toxic oils. It's going to use whatever building materials that are available to construct itself out of. So I, I totally think that most people are constructing their, their sheathing out of these toxic oils, out of the wrong fats. Um, definitely, I have a feeling on this whole low-fat diet um, thing going on that's been going on is definitely causing some severe um, neurological issues and from the research hormone issues can we talk about this whole low fat thing for a second sure yeah and you're right it is it is hormonally impacting people as well but a lot of times the results come on five years ten years down the road or even yeah. 20 years down the road because of reserves and that's an important concept for people to understand Different people have different levels of reserves and also different metabolisms and certain issues that might show up immediately in someone due to poor nutrition might take 10 years or 20 years to show up in someone else.
That's a fantastic point. And I, 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 when you say that, I think to myself about a lot of, um, you know, without being specific, um, but just a lot of, let's just say, health leaders that promote a certain type of uh, approach or diet. And, hey, maybe it works great in the short term, but there is a distinct difference between short-term and long-term diets. And I think what happens is actually a lot of people get very attached to the ideology and they may, you know, down the road, like 10 years, 15 years, 20, whatever it is, they may be actually causing some severe damage to themselves. But because the, you know, because they've, they've, um, they've promoted an idea for so long, it's very difficult to actually come out of the closet and be like, hey, you know what? We found something new. This, this may not be ideal for the long term. Right, exactly. And, and this is something that some people find out just if their instinct kicks on and, and, and that's the end of it. Some people, they override their instinct. It takes longer. You know, they, they finally get taught about it. They finally like, you know, it breaks down their ideology. But others who are so far into it, they're going to go all the way. And I've seen people have gone all the way, for example, with fruitarianism and what happens to their brain over 30 years or 40 years or 50 years later. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not the prettiest picture ever. No. Uh, you like I remember uh, what was it Johnny Love Wisdom right? Yeah, Johnny Love Wisdom. But there's there's I remember there's a woman who hangs out in Mountain View, California, and she lives up in that area there. And she's an old student of Doctor um, Walker, way back, Doctor Norman Walker. She studied with him like in fifties. Wow. And she's been on a primarily fruit diet all those years, and she's not completely like she's wonderful, lovely to be around, but her mental faculties are not there. Yeah, you know, great. And it's interesting. She has a great energy and great vibe, and neurological problems. That is really interesting. You so the 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 combination can be there as far as you know being being a, a you know let's just say like I guess a spiritual or just a happy go lucky person, but at the same time, your mental faculties are still deteriorating. You can tell, like. I think you said this at some point, but I definitely have taken this idea on and I've put it out there that physicality, the, you know, how we look aesthetically is not the best representation of health. I think it's in somebody's communication, their ability to articulate ideas and actually have communication with one another. I think that actually is probably the best um, signal of a healthy individual. Uh, that's well said. That's very that's very interesting. I mean, you know what comes up for me when you say that is the research on different types of word games like crossword puzzles. Yeah. That that has been associated with longevity. Now people think, oh, oh, it's because um, you know you're doing a crossword puzzle, you're keeping your brain active, and that's keeping you alive. But I actually think that there are chemicals released into your body that make you younger by doing different types of word puzzles. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's kind of taking it to the next level. It's not just that you're keeping your brain active. There's some specific chemistry that occurs because you're keeping your brain active that affects your whole body. Yeah, I think you're right on. It's kind of like um, I, lately I've I've been wanting to become more and more like a linguistic architect. So <laughs> so really, like I think learning. I think it, I think it comes down to this. And you've again, you've said this before, is that. Your curious, or you know, I'm kind of just adding my own thing, but it's like your own curiosity about life and about learning new things. Like, say, for example, learning new languages, learning new words, learning, uh, you know, way new ways of being in the world and just new new activities. 
I think that really drives, again, the, the point that we were talking about early about um, your zest for life and that being a, a catalyst for longevity. There's, you know, there's an interesting angle on longevity that I think I, I think I picked it up from the teachings of Abraham, which is this idea of like you, you can't be totally satisfied with your life because that, then you're not growing and then you know you're not, you're going to be chucked off the planet. But then you, you have to watch the other side too, which is you you, you don't want to be here anymore. You're burnt out of the planet. You're you know this planet sucks. You can't go too far down that way either because then you'll get chucked off the planet. You'll take on those false identifications. So you need to be in that dynamic flow in between there. You know, as, as Abraham calls it, it's the vortex. Yeah. You need to be in between those two states so so that you're constantly engaged. Yeah, totally. Like Bashar, I know you're. I know you. You uh, you're into Bashar as well. And he says the key is just following your excitement one moment to another. Well said. I definitely believe in that. That's an amazing. I really love Bashar. Actually, I love the teachings of Bashar. And out of the whole 2012 transition and everything, I think his teachings and what he had to say was as good or better than anything out there by channel material or, or downloaded material or whatever kind of materials out there. <laughs> it's funny you say that. The only book I legitimately read on 2012 was Daniel Pinchbeck's book, which actually um, I took a few gems out of. Um, but overall, it was it was um, it, you know didn't do a whole lot for me. But really, practically speaking, I was listening to the Bashar, the Daryl Anka channels, um, channeled messages like for religiously for a while because something intuitively in me was guiding me to it and. Um, it just felt like that was, like you said, like the most accurate um, messages coming through on that topic. And now we're in 2013, about to transition over to 2014. In my personal opinion, I want to throw this out there and uh, you know, I'm sure, and get your thoughts on it. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I had this spark of uh, insight. She was saying, like, you know, I don't know what's going on with the world and everything's looking bad. And I, I just told her, I was like, listen— there is so much beauty erupting in the world right now. If there's an intelligent creator, it makes absolutely no sense that the world's going to about to end with this much beauty that's coming out of the woodwork. I, completely. The, the whole doom and gloom scenario, I thought, you know, one of the great side effects of the whole 2012 thing is that once we got in 2013, the whole world, we're all dying on 20, December 21st, 2012, that whole thing ended. And, there, and, and it appeared like it's not coming back anytime soon, but it creeps back into consciousness because there are so many people in that state of consciousness, just doom and gloom. Mm. I mean, and I was talking to a friend the other day, and, and I was like referencing David Wilcox's new book, The Synchronicity yeah. Key, where he parallels the Roman Empire to the United States of America currently year to year to year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, we're like 450 years away from like, you know, the Huns being at the door. You know what I mean? Like, remember, you remember how Rome fell and all of a yeah. sudden, you know, the Visigoths are there, the Huns or whatever it was. And, um, and, and she's like, no, no, everything's faster now. No, so it's more like 15 years. And again, it's that doom and gloom mentality. She immediately discounted it and was like, no, it's happening now. We're dying now. The world's coming to an end now or whatever. Yeah, that's funny. I just got done. Well, I'm like 65% through, through the book right now, but it, that's a phenomenal book, by the way, for everyone listening, the David Wilcox Synchronicity Key. And it's funny what you just said, because it's like, it's almost like people are so, they're in such a disharmonic resonance within their own body 
that it's causing like an outward manifestation of like, um, again, like you said, doom and gloom thoughts. It's almost like they want it to speed up just so they can get out of here. Yeah, or, or whatever. I mean, you know, like if you want to be here at the end of the world, you know, then you're going to have to reincarnate like several billion years from now. Um, it's, it's not happening. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's like you just drop the whole thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, there's massive movements towards centralizing the world, creating a prison planet, you know, according to Alex Jones and all that. But then there's also good happening, like crazy good happening, like the most good ever. Yeah. It, it, you know, so it's, it's just going to keep going like that. Yeah, and again, it doesn't make any sense that all this beauty in the world would be flourishing and, and, and literally growing through the concrete um, if it was for nothing. So, yeah, I, I'm glad we, we squared that one away. Um, okay, so awesome. <laughs> all right, here, this is something we got to get into. Um, the question comes up a lot for me when I do lectures on what is the best water, and I'm kind of like, I, I don't really buy what people try to sell me. For example, when this woman, I, I did a lecture in Connecticut, and this woman, I could tell what she wanted me to say. She wanted me to give her permission to go to her tap and put her Brita filter on. I told her, ma'am, I'm not going to buy what you're trying to sell me. Um, and, I, <laughs> and the point of me saying that is I have a fundamental belief, and this is a lot from your teachings and just from my own experience of doing it, that Really, we're not going to get to the 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 best water ever until we start getting to the springs where the natural hydro, hydrological cycles of the earth are taking place. And so, my basically my question to you on this is: um, Why are you personally so deeply passionate and uncompromising when it comes to spring water? Well, one thing for sure is the whole consciousness around water is completely flipped around once somebody gets into spring water like it's been for you in your life. Yes. Which means that you you all of a sudden come to an understanding of how to move water around correctly instead of incorrectly in straight line pipes. Um, You automatically come to a realization of how polluted tap water is for real. So it, it brings you to levels of awareness you know, like for example, you automatically are in a communion with your environment. So you understand exactly how the hydrological cycles working in your environment because of the spring water that comes out in your environment. And it just goes on and on like this. So then we start to realize and we come to a real real place of like, oh, okay, you know, water, the, that's the crux, the core of the problems that we have in our world. If we don't understand what water is and how to move it around properly and how to bless it and how to, how to ennoble it – then it will never get to an advanced civilization. So it has to start somewhere. And the best way to start is just getting people to go out to drink spring water. And then obviously that then leads to other insights that can lead people that lead people down a road where they're no longer like, you know, in the tap water consciousness. They're, they start to come, become into a planetary and galactic consciousness, solar system consciousness of, of what water really does in our environment. Yeah, you said the key word, tap water consciousness. So it's kind of like um, cook consciousness in a way where you are literally being influenced by the substances you put into your body. And we don't even understand the subtle nuances that happen and how that kind of uh, it influences our programming. And when you do get spring water, I'll make an example. I took my friend Hakeem. He brought his cousin uh, his cousin's from Oakland, California, so he's never even seen, like, a tree before outside of, like, the concrete jungle. 
you know. And we take him up to Mount Tamapias and to go get spring water. And I'm just looking at the guy and he takes his first sip. And it's almost like he has some kind of religious experience. Like he was just like, I saw like his body shake for like five seconds. He looks me in the eye and he's like, dude, this tastes like water. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know, but once you have the experience, then it's like you don't you don't actually need me to tell you about it because now you you've been endowed with that uh, with that experience, and you can kind of kind of lead you along the way. Um, the water thing is really amazing, without getting into all the the ups and downs about it. But I do want to put this out there because I know you talk about it a lot, and I was. It's become a theme in my my research too is that this whole thing on levitation and levitational properties in food and specifically water. You know, I'm sitting here looking at Victor Schauberger's book, The The Water Wizard, and um his, one of his things is the whole the whole idea on levitational properties and then Rudolf Steiner, you cross-reference his stuff and he's talking about the gravitational pressure um, of certain, uh, of just the atmosphere and certain, you know, uh, food substances, for example. And it's interesting to cross-reference all this different information. Right. Okay. So, so, okay. So I didn't really leave you with a question there. So, um, I, 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 um, I just wanted to touch on that for a second as I know you're big into, um, that idea. So basically levitational versus gravitational, properties um in food and water how does that affect us long term okay well it's it's obviously we don't know i mean it's it's an area of research it would make sense to me and it correlates to the teachings of rudolf steiner the teachings of victor schauberger and really the you know the teachings of 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 the history of of mycology that the levitative substances in the environment, accessing those is going to make us live longer. That's why it's the fountain of youth. It's the water that moves up. It's a fountain that comes out at the top, right? right? Instead of like the kitchen of youth or the lake of youth or the stream of youth, it's a fountain of youth. It's a spring because it is exposing its levitational qualities. And the overall impact of gravitation, oxidation, on us over a lifetime is we, what we see and, you know, as people start to get turned into Yoda, you know, you yeah. basically collapsing of the joints and you basically get crunched down and get wrinkled up from being oxidized by the atmosphere. So those levitational forces that are inside a tree, inside the earth, that are inside of us because we're shielded by a skin are areas of, of future inquiry and that I feel need to be studied heavily. Like, for example, the most levitational substances, mushroom spores, mm. would be something of immediate focus if you're really, really paying attention to what I'm, what I'm talking about here. And therefore, that would lead someone to suddenly go, wait, maybe reishi mushroom spore oil, not just for an immune system, but for my joints, mm. right? Because it's got that levitational quality. I was talking with Dr. Ashman, who's a leading figure in energy medicine worldwide at a longevity conference. And I, and I said to him, we were sitting watching a presentation. I said to him, I said, I want to know in your own opinion, how the joints work. And he said, this is what he said. It was, it was an amazing answer. He said, well, here's how they don't work, which is that one joint sits on a top of another, sits on a bone, sits on top of another joint, sits on top of a bone that actually what we suspect is happening at the joint levels, that there's some kind of a, of a anti-gravity levitational effect. And I was like, oh, is that, is that a fact? 
<laughs> because that's that's what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that the negative pressure that evolves inside the joint when the joint is sealed properly with the right materials. That's why I'm such a big fan of eucomia, by the way, and reishi mushroom spore oil and other joint protective types of herbs and foods is um, that negative pressure is a levitational phenomenon. It's exactly the type of negative pressure that evolves in a spring that allows the spring to be attracted to the sun and fall upwards and come up. Same with what goes on inside a tree. It's a negative pressure that evolves that allows the tree to, through suction, pull the sap up into itself. But again, the tree is defined by its bark. We are defined by our skin. The earth is, de- is defined by its ecstatic skin, which is its soil. Without those shielding mechanisms from gravity, from oxidation, right. that none of this levitation is possible. That's why I would never recommend anybody get a joint surgery unless you, know, it was like, you, know, you have your joint broken apart or something in an accident. Um, but you don't do it to fix a joint because oxidation will get in there, and that's the end of that joint. It will never function properly. That's a really interesting angle on it. Um, you know, it's interesting. Right before you said that about that research um, about the joints, uh, I was thinking that in my head, actually, right before you said it about the joints that the bones don't rest on top of each other, actually, like suctioned between like some kind of some kind of energy. Uh, and I, I find that really interesting. When you say it, it, it relates back to my. I had two knee surgeries, nineteen and twenty three. Um, when I was pursuing professional athletics, and uh, I basically tore my cartilage on one, tore the MCL, the ACL, all that. And fortunately, the surgery was very, it was just like micro surgery. They just went in, you know, like snipped it, and that was the end of it. Um, but I'm not, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but I just, it just, uh, it just spite, it sparked that thought in me. And I think our bodies in general, the structure of our body is really at the core base of it is all based on on uh, negative ions or negative energy that's really keeping us keeping us upright. It's keeping us locked upright, and when that energy starts to corrode, let's say from uh, the positive electrons in our environment or just in the body, it starts to like you said. This was a perfect analogy that you gave about Yoda. Because you literally see it in the elderly when they become dehydrated and they start to break down. Right. And what Rudolf Steiner says about that process, by the way, which I find to be very interesting, what he says causes the calcification, the the Mm -hmm. gravitation, the oxidation, is we lose – this is fascinating to me. And, it, and it, it speaks to why grounding and earthing is so important, yeah. is that when, when the forces, the telluric forces in the earth are overcome by the astral forces of the cosmos, then that creates stone. That creates we, – we get turned into stone. It takes our healthy tissue and calcifies it. And that, that is just – it cuts right to the crux of the issue. You know, what I'm talking about here with levitational substances are substances that evolve and gain their levitational qualities inside a tree, inside our body, inside the earth. And, and over our lifetime, 
those forces must counterbalance, must hold ballast against the forces of the cosmos that oxidize us. And when we start looking at hormones, for example, like progesterone, mm-hmm. you know, progesterone is very similar to, um, what is it, diosogen, which is the, the compound that's in yams. And one of the things about yams that's really interesting is how quickly they can overcome the forces of gravity and grow straight up a tree and form a vine right up to, right up to the top of the tree from a little root. Wow. The progesterone is, is derived from a levitational compound that's <laughs> for material that it, that's made out of. Same as same could also be said of testosterone. And same could also be said of adrenaline. And when you think about those compounds, you start to see them not just in the light of, oh, that's a hormone, but I look at the, those things as levitational substances. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That I mean, I don't know what that means to other people, but to me that you just said a mouthful right there because I never really made that connection. I just looked at it like the the chemical messengers in the body kind of dialing in uh what's the next function and that that's pretty powerful. Hormones are literally levitational substances or uh, substances or catalysts for the body. Very, very interesting. Well, I would say androgenic hormones. Androgenic, androgenic. right. Right. Yeah, and, and for clarification for everyone, andro meaning male, right? So like andropause is basically like a male version of menopause. Well, no, it, actually, in the particular colloquialism that I'm using, I'm talking about hormones that actually strengthen us okay. and build us up, as opposed to like estrone. You know, estrone is 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 an, is an estrogen, usually a toxic estrogen, 